0: Today I have another guest from the Netherlands and her name is Ted, well it's an abbreviation isn't it, for Bernadette and uh, she's in Maastricht I don't know if I pronounced that correctly Uh, it's difficult for us Westerners to to speak the Dutch language with all of the curling of the tongue but she's going to talk today about her dramatic improvements over the last three years that she's been part of the Patterson Programme. She's followed the program and also been part of our support group. So I've watched her progress and heard her updates on a regular basis. But this is the first time that we've had a chance to meet face to face. And I'm excited to hear it as a summary and going to all the details of this uh, rather than just getting uh, the updates and answering questions. So thank you so much for coming on this episode and and sharing your story.
1: Well, thank you. It's a an honor for me to speak to you live, and I'm doing very well. I'm very energetic, um, uh, very happy. uh, uh, I feel great. Yeah, yeah.
0: Awesome. Now, walk us through how it began and some of the challenges that you faced, starting out, first of all, with your official diagnosis and uh, how long ago that was and the first course of treatment.
1: Yeah. Well, it started in uh, 2004, 15 years ago, and it was a very warm, hot, uh, humid, uh, sunny day, summer day. And we sitting, we were sitting outside with friends and family, and uh, very cozy, everything perfect. But I eat a lot of cherries. We had a buckets full of cherries. Right. And I liked them, and uh, we went to bed, and after two or three hours, I wake up with a terrible pain in my right knee, and a very swollen right knee. I couldn't believe that that could happen in a few hours. It was very strange. And uh, that didn't went away anymore. I recognized it because I had it sometimes before the same, but then after a few hours, it disappeared. When I was 18, when I was 35. Uh, So I thought, well, this will disappear as well. But it didn't. It got worse and worse. I got very sick, uh, tired, a lot of pain, um, very heavy pain, 24 hours, seven days a week. I went to the GP and he told me, oh, you must have had a, a trauma, a little trauma on your knee. And I said, no. It's something different. I think it's rheuma. We call it here in Holland rheuma, rheumatoid arthritis, because it's in our family. And he said no, it isn't. But I, I wanted to go to the hospital, and uh, he didn't think it was necessary. But at the end, he wrote a letter, and then uh, I made an appointment. But that took so many weeks before I could uh, see a rheumatologist. And I worked in the hospital at that moment. So I went straight to the the nurse from the rheumatologist. I knew Mm -hmm. her. And then uh, I could, uh, she she, uh, asked the rheumatologist to come. And she said, yes, it's very worse. You have rheumatoid arthritis. They did a puncture and examined the fluids, uh, the fluid from my knee. It was a lot, I think 100 milliliters that came out, that is a lot. It looked like a very uh, organic apple juice.
0: Yeah, kind of a bit of a yellow tinge, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. and uh, then she confirmed, yes, and my lab results were also positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was rheumatoid arthritis, and I was in shock. I couldn't believe really that I had this. Mm.
0: You would have been familiar with the severity of this condition from your family members, is that right?
1: Yes, and even then, I was in shock that my own body—that I couldn't trust my own body anymore. Yeah, that was the biggest issue, and then all this medication—I uh, couldn't believe it was for me. Mm. It was—I really was in shock.
0: What did they? What did they suggest?
1: I had to start immediately with mitotrexate,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, prednisone, very high doses. How high? I think forty milligram. Right. I started. Yeah. Four zero. Yeah. And uh, they injected also prednisone in my knee. Uh huh. And then I had a painkiller, but that didn't do anything.
0: At that point, was it mostly just in the knee?
1: At that point, it was only in the knee.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, that treatment seems excessive. Certainly. Yes. Certainly. Uh, at the very least, effective. Uh, for that situation where you've just got basically one big swollen knee I ended up with one big swollen knee it was a situation where it was non-compliant where everything else that I was doing was working fabulously albeit over a long period of time took years but uh, everything was responding but my left knee um, just would not respond and it was remaining swollen stiff very painful and it turned out after many years of Feeling that I was going to get there naturally, I had uh, a, a steroid shot into the knee and that totally cleared it. It was as though I had a closed loop of inflammation. Like, the, just, it was like I wasn't, whatever was happening in the knee was isolated from the rest of the body. And mm-hmm. so, an injection cleared out that inflammation and um, it was very effective. So, given that you also at that time just had the inflammation in the knee, um, I imagine that after just even the steroid shot, you were probably walking around reasonably well after that and then then the, then the oral dose of steroids and then the methotrexate, all the stuff kicking in at the same time. You probably felt good for a few months, right?
2: I
1: felt good, but... Um,
0: I know this is 16 years ago, so yeah, it's hard I to needed, remember.
1: I needed a wheelchair because uh, I wasn't allowed to walk. I had to keep um, uh, my knee in rest. Why? They told me. That's crazy. I don't know.
0: That's crazy. I don't know. Yeah. The, the opposite is true because you yeah. would have, if the knee would have become, even in that short period of time, like a month or two before you saw the rheumatologist and got that, the knee would have started to become weak and uh, the connective tissue at the top where the quadricep meets the top of the patella, that would have become a little bit, uh, again, like, weak and and started to become brittle you got to use them when when you've got an opportunity to uh to use a joint i mean that's all it's there for is to move and we have to use it when it's uh when it's free of inflammation
1: yeah you're right because uh very soon i already had muscle loose in my yeah. uh, leg i could see it yeah and that's very quick mm-hmm. but i was so uh in fear and so uh, depressed because I, I followed exactly what they told me Yes. and did what they told me, Yes. and that went on. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, months later, um, I'm not sure about the time, but uh, a period later, I also had these problems in my left ankle. So my knee yep. was okay, mm-hmm. but my left ankle started giving problems. Yes. Even when I had this medication.
0: Right. Yeah. And
1: that, uh, well, that was the same pain, and uh, the problems were the same. And were
0: you still taking prednisone? Yes. Yeah. So what I think has happened here, and this, the, my views, I, I believe, are fairly unique in that not many people share this kind of extreme negative view about prednisone. But my my feeling is that if you've got mild Well, let's say your symptoms with rheumatoid arthritis are five out of ten and then if you were to take oral or injectable like in the backside uh, prednisone for a period of several months whilst it keeps the inflammation level down from a five to a maybe a one or even less than a one during the time you're taking it you're basically counting down the days until suddenly your symptoms that it is suppressing are going to double or show up somewhere else. It is the worst drug for creating more rheumatoid arthritis symptoms. And so my feeling on what you've described is that um, massive intervention, big injection into the knee, that would have been sufficient, in my view, to see how you got along and then rehab the knee. Immediately start exercising it, do some squats get it moving, walk every day, right? But instead, they've gone the jab in the knee, then they've gone the prednisone, and this is the worst, the prednisone ever. Why? Why prednisone when you've just had the knee injection? And then the methotrexate on top of that. So you've basically just gone, boom. all these meds, and the prednisone has eaten or depleted your mucosal lining, nowhere for the bacteria to live, created leaky gut, and or more leaky gut and you're in a situation a few months later. So that's what I think happened there. And uh, you know, the medical community, whilst they're trying to treat you, can also be held accountable for some of the things that these medications do as side effects because it's it's terribly um, terribly detrimental what they can do.
1: Yeah, but at that time I didn't know all know. this if you tell I know, me
0: now. I know. And and Ted, nor nor did I. And if my doctor had have said, take prednisone, I definitely would have taken it. Yeah. And in yeah. fact, I went, bef- I went to him one time when methotrexate was maxed out at 25 milligram and I'd been doing my research myself. And I said, I hear that you can get an injection, a one-off like injection of, of steroids into your mm-hmm. backside or whatever, and it'll give you a few months relief. I said, maybe that's something that we could try. And he said, I don't do that in my practice. And I said, kind of, why not? I was just so shocked by that. I just, the last thing I expected was that, oh, I don't do that. And he, 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 his response, I can't quite remember, unfortunately, the exact response, but it was along the lines of, I don't think that the long term benefits outweigh the negative impact of those interventions. And at that time, I didn't know what that meant, but, um, uh clearly he had a more acute understanding of this steroid treatment than what a lot of other practitioners do. Yeah. So, you know, it's I to this day I just thank thank God that he does not do that in his practice.
1: And is that a GP or a rheumatologist?
0: Specialist, rheumatologist. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I can remember very well mm-hmm. that pathologist at that moment when I came in the hospital for the first time with a swollen knee also asked the professor to come. Mm -hmm. She said, well, you are in a very worse situation and you are much too young for having this disease. So Mm -hmm. we have to put everything
0: at it at the same time. Yes,
1: yes, Mm -hmm. uh, to attack this. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I felt like... um, uh, okay, yeah, it's okay. Uh, yep. I don't know what's the best for me and yep. uh, do what you want because I'm sick and I don't want to have this pain anymore.
0: Yeah, the yep. pain's shocking. The
1: pain is sh- shocking for me.
0: Oh, terrible. So it showed up then you said in your ankle. Let's go through next what happened next. So you remained on the steroid, the methotrexate. It then showed up, you said, in your ankle. Uh, yeah, I know. Yep. It. Yeah,
2: that
1: lasted a very long time. Because they couldn't find anything in my ankle, mm. and I could exactly point to the uh, places where the pain was, and then they made an uh, CT in the MRI MRI scan
0: MRI, yep
1: MRI <laughs> scan, and then it showed up that my ankle already was uh, damaged very worse, a lot of lot lost of cartilage cartilage,
0: yep. cartilage yes.
1: and that was I think. Um, Five years later, right. I lived so long with this pain that was terrible. And then they decided, well, this is the moment you can start with biologics.
0: Now, if we're going back, uh, 16 plus minus 5 is 11. 11 years ago, they would have probably recommended Enbrel.
1: Embrel, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah.
1: And, uh, well, it is, I think, 10 years ago I started Embrel mm-hmm. And that was such a big relief. That's unbelievable, unbelievable. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I felt newborn, um, we celebrated because after a week I could walk normally Mm. and went to the zoo to celebrate it. That's Mm. unbelievable Mm -hmm. and I was very happy with this umbrella because it helped me so good. Uh, But after I think uh, two or three years all the infections started. And that were the side effects of the umbrella,
0: the infections. Mm -hmm. Infections. What did you get?
1: It always started here in the the nose with a cold, then the throat, and finally my jaw bones were infected. My lungs, uh, pneumonia.
0: You got pneumonia.
1: Yes, several times, and then that was the moment I started by uh, antibiotics.
0: All right, the story. The story's getting interesting, yeah. I was going to make some comments about Enbrel. The comments I wanted to make was, um, I I see this frequently about Enbrel. Enbrel gives fantastic pain relief, life-changing stuff. And one of our other guests who's been on the show, Katie, of course, who... uh, I um, know her. Yeah, Katie. um, She's been on Enbrel for, gosh, I want to say uh, something like... uh, Ten plus years, it might be fifteen or something. I mean, a very long period of time, and it was life changing for her. I frequently hear great things about the pain reduction and symptom removing effects of Enbrel. Forget the side effects for a moment. We're just talking about effectiveness of its treatment, and it surprises me that it's so much less recommended these days than what it used to be. I mean, the drug's still available. But these days it seems rheumatologists are opting for from a vast selection of biologic drugs that are maybe the latest or the newest and more interesting. But I don't see them working near as effectively as the feedback that I constantly get from Enbrel. Yeah. I'm just sort of saying these things for our viewers or listeners who'd be interested to uh, to get that uh, insight that I see frequently that Enbrel gets great results. Just And, of course, I'm just speaking from... The feedback that I see from our forum members and from emails and so forth, because there's just a vast number of people giving me information and I hear it frequently. So why it's not more recommended, I don't know. Whereas things like Zeljans, which is a tablet biologic, yes. I hear frequently bad things about that, that it didn't work or that it, uh, it's terrible side effects. And, and yet it, it seems to be recommended more and more. And yet again, my little view of the world and the way that I uh, gather information is quite unique, which is just from feedback from people with rheumatoid arthritis. And these are some of the trends that I see. Enbril still works, and these new ones just don't seem to work so good. So anyway, yes, thanks for letting me share that little bit of information. Okay, so... Pneumonia, goodness, several times. This is serious stuff. Um, and then, so talking about antibiotics, now you can see the frowns come over my face when I hear antibiotics, because that's, of course, yeah. how I developed rheumatoid arthritis. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Tell us what happened when you started. So, uh,
1: first of all, the umbrella was perfect. So, mm-hmm. so after a few years, I got these infections.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they were getting worse and worse. And at a certain moment, they were so worse that I had to um, use the antibiotics, not only for a short period, but for a long mm, period.
0: For the infections. Uh, yeah. Yes,
1: three months. Mm. A very high doses because I had a very large infection on my jawbone. Right. There was a hole between my mouth and my sinus. Because of the infections, it was wow. very worse. I had wow. several operations.
0: Face operations.
1: Several operations here, on very your face, yeah. yeah. And the inside on my uh, jaw bones. Gosh. Yeah. My, mm. my how do you call it here? This
0: under the cheekbone.
1: Yeah, under the cheekbone.
0: And um, they they did a fabulous job because you can't see any yes. insertion or anything. No. Mm. They did
1: it from inside. They went yeah, in was...
0: through the mouth and.
2: Yeah. What? Yeah
0: transplantation people who don't have inflammatory arthritis autoimmune conditions could not imagine the kind of things that we have to go through when you have these diseases and then try and treatment treat them with these medications that can cause so many problems you know just before we started our conversation you talked about your participation in a in a study, and I and we'll met, we'll get into that in just a second, but I mean that's going to be a perfect segue as to why people don't talk about this disease. I mean, who wants to tell their friends I'm going for face surgery for my cheekbone because of the some space in here that's been caused by all of the side effects of this horrible medication that I take for this terrible disease that I have? I mean, goodness me! I mean. You can understand why people don't want to talk about this stuff because it's, for one of a better word, it, it's just sort of ugly, isn't it? It's just not nice. It's, it's hard, and so I can completely relate, completely relate to the the mess that we all go through with this condition. So it's
1: very, very much, very much, yeah. But you never can see that the outside. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People always say, "But you're looking so good." Yeah looking so well. They don't understand the problem you are dealing with.
2: That's right. But
1: uh, then I had to uh, use antibiotics for a very long period, and then you have to stop uh, your biologics. And then after that, when it all was healed, I had to restart it, and then it didn't work anymore. That's also not from the embryo.
0: And so the embryo did not work after you stopped it for a while? Again, common, really common, very common. If you'll allow me just a moment, just to share what I see from other people. When some people, for example, are taking methotrexate for a period of time, and then after they're on methotrexate for a while, maybe their liver enzymes go up, which are the ALT and the AST readings in your monthly blood test that you have to have with, with, yep. So if their liver enzymes go up, the rheumatologist knows from their education that that's dangerous and we better take them off methotrexate. Now, I was fortunate. My rheumatologist realized that I was sta- well, I was on a fairly stable platform with my, with my drug treatment, and he said, I don't want to stop the drug. Let's increase folic acid. We'll put folic acid the day before and the day after of your okay. methotrexate. And yeah. my liver enzymes came down enough for me to stay on the medication. Now i don't see that kind of um, temporary test intervention done much by other rheumatologists they 'll often see some liver enzymes go up, and they'll say you've got to stop the methotrexate that's true. People stop the methotrexate within two, three weeks, sometimes a month or even two months at the most. The liver enzymes come all back to normal, all their symptoms come back, they go back on to methotrexate now it doesn't work, and they've been on it for years yeah and this this so I see this personally, and I'm sure rheumatologists see this all the time, so there's not really an action point here, but it's just a cautionary insight that when our treatment's working, don't mess with it because it's just as delicate as the healing process of the gut where everything must be, you know, I, I say the path through the mountain is very narrow, and it's same. It's a tightrope, the medications as well. So once it's working, boom, let's just not rock the boat. And if we need to kind of find little tricks like the folic acid trick to stay on a drug if it's otherwise working, then we should do it. Yeah.
1: Never heard that before.
0: All right, right. Yep.
1: Never. No. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: So you took the folic acid before the mesotrexate.
0: So there's two ways of taking folic acid with methotrexate. One is to take a little bit of folic acid every day except the day that you take the drug. So you do six days of folic acid in small dose and one day of medication. And the other way is to take one day of folic acid the day before the one uh, medication and the folic acid is a large dose. Now, I thing is five, five milligrams. Don't quote me on that. It's been a long time since I've taken folic acid, and so my rheumatologist said take one also the day after. Okay, so we're going with one the day before, then my drug, then another one the day after, because the the drug metabolizes the folic acid; it just uses it as part of its um, it consumes it as part of its working mechanism, and so we don't want the drug consuming our own reserves, our human reserves. We need to supplement it so it uses up a supplemented reserve. Anyway, that did the trick. That did the trick for me. And if there's anyone sort of, you know, paying attention here who's in a situation or in the future where the ALT, AST go up, which is very common with methotrexate, definitely something to speak to the rheumatologist about if the drug is going well because stop-start technique does not work out too good for too many people. So, look, and if the enzyme's continue to stay elevated even after that little intervention, well, safety needs to come first. And a discussion about you know, the drug usage or not is obviously on the table for the rheumatologist. But you know, that little trick worked for me.
1: Yeah, perfect. Yeah. I didn't know that because mm. here in Holland, mm-hmm. you always have uh, to take the folic acid 24 hours after the methotrexate. Uh-huh.
0: Well, you know what? My memory might be fading just a little because uh, I was diagnosed in two thousand six, only two years after you. So yeah. it, it's been fourteen years, uh, and of those, only the uh, I think only the first five was I involved with drugs. So, but I think it was the day before. Uh, yeah. So anyway, look, I um, we'd have to we'd have to do a survey in our forum and find out. But um, um, anyway, let's pick up your story and yeah. talk about how you felt after the endrel stopped working, after the antibiotics, and where did you go from there?
1: Well, then I had to start other biologics, and um, I wrote them down. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Orentia. Orentia, that, uh, yeah. um, that was via um, intravenous. Uh, I don't know how to say it. Yeah, via
0: intravenous. An- yeah, we say yeah, You said, yep, intravenous, yep. How frequent and were the inject- uh, the intravenous?
1: Once in four weeks. Every four weeks, one day at the hospital. Mm. But that didn't work. It okay. didn't work. Yeah. Tozilizumab.
0: Yeah. I've seen the word. I've never spoken it out loud. I'm familiar with it. How did that go?
1: And that was awful. Awful. Because that has a very, very nasty side effects. Thiosulphium up uh, interferes with your uh, autoimmune system, mm-hmm. but also can interfere with your ESR.
2: Oh, really? So, okay.
1: yeah, that's very nasty. You can have, uh, you can be very sick. For example, uh, appendicitis, mm. and then your ESR normally st- raise very much, but this thiosulphium up uh, suppress your ESR.
0: Right. ESR
1: is it, her huh? Isn't yeah, it? ESR,
0: rate. Yeah. Yeah. One of the inflammation markers.
1: So you you maybe have ESR from hundred for hundred millimeters, right. but because of the tocilizumab, it's zero.
0: And so you're not aware of some of the inflammation in the body, which exactly. means that you could be having something terrible happening and you don't exactly. know. Right.
1: But when he happens the opposite. I got very high ESRs. Right. That was also very strange, mm-hmm. but it's clear that the tocilizumab didn't work.
0: Okay, no symptom relief. No. Okay.
1: And yeah. then I had to go to Humira.
0: Okay. That's
1: yeah. very uh, famous Humira. Yeah. And that didn't work at all.
0: Okay. I I think the mechanisms are somewhat similar to Enbrel. Yeah. From um, Humira Enbrel. Mm. Yeah. So if you know, I I've seen people explained before that their doctor had them on Enbrel and then said, well, don't worry about Humira because it's a similar mechanism at play. Whether or not that's uh, totally accurate, I'm not sure. But, yes, let's go ahead from from there. So you've failed, failed, failed. Uh, yeah. What happened next?
1: Well, in the meantime, I discovered the medicine program.
0: Okay, good. Now we got some As- positive news.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Three years ago
0: because
1: – All those medications didn't work and I had, I think it was before the Humira already. I'm not sure about it anymore. It didn't work at all. I had swollen knees, swollen ankles. um, Very, very worse. I I can remember most awful period is um, Christmas 2015. I was so in pain, I only could lay in bed. My husband had to take care for me. I couldn't walk. I was completely stiff, and I couldn't sleep because of the pain. Mm -hmm. And um, the medication didn't work. Mm -hmm. And then I found the Patterson program, and um, I had to start a new biologic. And I wanted to start the Patterson program, and that was a very interesting period because at the beginning of the new year, in 2016, I came to the rheumatologist, and she saw how
2: um, uh, bad, bad my mm.
1: situation was, and she suggested a new biologic. I don't know exactly which one it was, and I wanted to start a Patterson program. So I thought, well, I, want, I uh, wanted to read a lot about it, and to prepare myself, and I thought, well, if I start with a new biologic, I don't know if the Patterson program will work for me. Yep. So I wanted to wait with the biologic and first start the Patterson program because my situation was very bad. Mm. And I can remember very clear that my knee was swollen, I was in pain, and the nurse from the rheumatologist called me by phone. Are you already started with your new biologic?
2: Yeah.
1: And I said to him, No, not yet, because I have a flu. But I want to have time to see how the Patterson program works. So I started, and within 24 hours, I could walk.
2: Wow.
1: I could get up from my bed without help. I could walk to the bathroom. Within 24 hours, it was. Unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. So for me, it was clear the Patterson program works. And then after a week, I also started the new biologic. I don't know which one it was. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was 100% clear this works. This diet, because first I start with a diet and not with the exercises because mm. I wasn't able to do exercises at that moment. Yes. It was very, very impressive. So I was very motivated yes. to um, go on with the program and the diet. And from day one until now, I never, ever had this pain again. Wow. Never. Never. Swollen joints. Yes. Yes. But never in pain.
0: Wow! It's
1: evil, but it's it's the best uh, motivation for me to go on with the diet and the whole lifestyle change.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Wow. Okay. You mentioned that you still get the swelling, but not the pain. That's really interesting. Yeah. Which joints? Now we're kind of skipping three years here, but but we'll come back to those. Which joints get the swelling and not the pain
1: the only joint that is a little bit swollen is my wrist my left mm-hmm. wrist
0: mm-hmm.
1: i have no pain at all mm-hmm. and uh, that's already for three years
2: mm-hmm.
1: and doctor uh, the rheumatologist uh, did a several times uh function yeah. to take the fluid out and to give prednisone in it but no uh, improvements at oh. all oh. But no pain.
2: Yeah.
1: Never pain. Hmm. My uh, knees sometimes are a little bit swollen. Mm-hmm. And then I exactly know, okay, I had too much from this or I had too much from that. Yes. With, with my uh, diet. Yes. Or I think stress. Stress is also for me an, a trigger. Let's yes. say it like. Yep. But I have no joints with pain.
0: Never. Mm. Um, it it is absolutely remarkable given that where you were i mean if this was the first interview that i had ever done with one of my clients and them tell me that i would just be like so like gobsmacked and just talking about all the details for the next 10 minutes but like you know that every guest that we have on the show has one of these unbelievable stories and so it's kind of like, oh, yeah, Ted just got rid of like 10 years of excruciating pain. Cool. You know what I mean? Like it's, You kind of do get a little desensitized to the enormity uh, of the stories sometimes. But, I mean, let's just for a moment just acknowledge how incredible that is. I mean, it's absolutely remarkable. Now, in the Netherlands, everyone likes to, I believe, eat lots of cheese. So were you eating a lot of cheese prior to starting the program? What did your diet look like?
2: Well,
1: I had a really healthy diet. Okay. We didn't eat meat every day. We uh, but we I indeed eat a lot of cheese, that's true. Yes. And a lot of milk. Uh-huh. So we are raised with the idea that milk is necessary every day. Yeah. Yes, I eat a lot of cheese. Yeah, um a, a normal healthy diet. Let's say like that.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Healthy compared to the average Western diet, but not healthy in the way that we know that we need to eat when yeah. we have to heal a terrible digestive problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds to me, given that you probably were eating somewhat healthy again compared to the average, you know, Westerner, um, that maybe a large portion of your inflammation came from dairy products. Um, you mentioned the milk, you mentioned the cheese, you haven't eaten them in three years, I'm not saying it was just that, but they were probably a large portion of it, given that you weren't eating meat every single day. I tend to see it more often anyway, that uh, the dairy seems to be more inflammatory and more of a trigger for people than what just animal proteins are and animal fat. Just the casein uh, in the dairy, the mucus forming nature of it, it's so allergenic. Yeah, it's it's just not human food by any stretch of the imagination. And so it was probably playing a larger role um, than what? I did not uh,
1: know, because I already discovered before the Patterson program uh-huh. that sugar was a bad trigger for me.
0: Sugar, yeah. Sugar. Yeah.
1: And um, now I'm also convinced that oil and fat is for, very bad for me in my situation. Oh, I, definitely. I think,
0: right? Yes. Most definitely. So... so Oils, if we, went, if we listed them from number one worst possible thing you could eat if you've got an inflammatory condition is vegetable oils That's absolutely number one. Like if we took a group of 50 people with an autoimmune condition and as a horrible torture made them consume the oil that fried French fries are cooked in in a shot glass the night before they, and they go to bed, the next morning, every one of those 50 people are going to be swearing at me and very, very angry because of the inflammation in their body. Not one person will escape the shot glass of sunflower oil or uh, whatever, cooking oil, um, inflammation that, that will follow. It's just as straightforward as that. Yeah. And then with time, with time, it's possible to tolerate non-processed fats like nuts and seeds, for example, and things like chia seeds is something that I'm actually encouraging more people to eat once they can eat nuts. If you can eat nuts, people should definitely be eating chia seeds.
1: I don't dare to eat.
0: You're, not, you're too scared. You're totally you understand. Too scared. Totally understand. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally understand. When the confidence is there and you're eating nuts and you're eating other seeds, for instance, like uh, pumpkin seeds or sesame seeds or something, there's no fear whatsoever in, in trying chia seeds. And the benefit of the chia is their omega-6, omega-3 profile. It's hard to find foods that are rich in omega-3 and low in omega-6, and chia seeds are one of those. So if other people are watching and they're already able to eat uh, a range of different nuts or uh, tolerate a couple of nuts, uh, chia seeds should be a, should be an easy addition and a really good quality addition an anti-inflammatory addition. The issue is getting to that point. The issue is getting to the point where we can tolerate high-fat foods at all. And that took me years. Yeah, One of the big milestones for me was when I took ground-up flaxseed out of my smoothies. And I was putting them in because we were going with the generic information that you find on the internet that, you know, omega-3 fats, eat them and your inflammation goes away. All right, let's put chia, put flax seeds in the smoothie. Inflammation like crazy. As soon as I took it out, um, again, just through experimentation. Months and months of pain, doing the same thing every day. Pain, 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 excruciating, can't walk, Bikram yoga every day, 25 milligram bethotrexate, fingers swollen, ankles so bad I can barely walk, chest hurts, jaw hurts. I mean, absolute shocking. Take the bloody flax seeds out of the smoothie, oh my God, it's like half my pain is gone. Now I'm only in agony as opposed to triple agony, right? And so these were big milestones and taking the olive oil off my salad, that was another massive milestone. I didn't see the connection of the, being fat. I, I it took me months to work that out as well.
1: Well, I can tell you more, a nice example of this mm-hmm. because I started the program three years ago uh, I was fully committed to the diets and I followed it exactly step by step as uh, as you could could read it. And then I lost a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. In four months, I lost twenty five kilos.
0: Wow, that's huge! Yeah. And
1: people around me, yeah, family, friends, everybody started saying oh, that's not good, you're looking not good, you lose too much weight, you are on the wrong path with this diet. Please start fats, eating fats. You can't miss fats. Mm -hmm. So after a a period and a a few weeks that everybody kept telling that to me, I thought, well, I'm feeling okay, but maybe I'm wrong and have to start eating fats. So I started uh, adjusting uh, sesame oil in sesame my food. Sesame seed oil. Yes. Yeah, oh my seed. god!
0: You don't need to tell me what happened next.
1: It went completely wrong. I was in uh, well. Uh, I used a lot because mm. I thought, well, maybe I need this and maybe mm. uh, it, it's better for me. And at that moment, I saw four months after starting the program. I got, got completely stiff. Yeah. Completely stiff. I it's i my husband uh, made some movies for me. I couldn't oh. nearly walk. Wow. I had pain. That's that's strange. No pain, but completely stiff and swollen joints. Very mm-hmm. swollen knee, ankle uh, joints. And then at that moment, the rheumatologist uh, gave me again more prednisone and all these things. The whole uh, thing started again, and I thought, no, it's the oil. There you go. I'm absolutely sure it's the oil. It so I cut the oil again. Yeah. And then it went. Uh, it, it went better. Yes. It was a very good example. From that oil is the trigger for me for inflammation.
0: Yeah. It's pure, well, not pure. It's just extremely high in omega six fatty acids, which are an inflammatory trigger, simple as that. So so you're basically just pouring gasoline on top of a fire. That's all that's yeah, going on. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's amazing that this isn't so well-known. It's incredible. It really is. And people screw up their face and think, what are you talking about? Like I lose people immediately. If I meet someone who knows someone with rheumatoid arthritis and I'm speaking to them on an airplane or, I don't know, like – um just at a social event or something. And they say, oh, my mother has that or my brother, whatever. And I say, okay, like, look, go home. And the very first thing you want to do, if you want a massive intervention, I said, it's almost hilarious how fun this is, because it works so well. Just give them three days and do not allow them to put any oils on their salad, no oils in the cooking. So you have to cook, don't use the stir fry. No oils for three days, change nothing else. And I'm like, I guarantee you that you can get rid of a ton of their symptoms and they'll feel really great. And they look at you and they're like, "No, no oil." What do you what do you mean no oil? And like instead of being excited about the challenge, 3-day simple challenge, they just get all like, "What do you mean? But oil's good for you." And then and then I just start to lose faith in humanity and just give up. So, you know, sometimes people go and and do the challenge, which is cool, but uh you know, people are so so brainwashed it's brainwashing that oils are healthy there's the
1: same with milk milk right. is su- such an essential uh food here in holland uh, yes. uh, yeah you can't live without milk cow milk yeah. but well i can
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely uh the statistics when they talk about hip fractures and they talk about the false the false positives of milk they always refer to the netherlands because I yes. believe that you're in the top two or three of hip fractures in the world because and you also consume the most dairy per population. They also draw upon the statistics for New Zealand and Australia. Yes, exactly. yeah.
1: yeah, that's true. Oh, I know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So if you want a broken bone, go and drink more milk. You'll be getting there, you know, yeah. sooner than everyone else.
1: Still here, they say the, the rheumatologist and the nurse from the rheumatologist that you need to have calcium from milk and from cheese. And I let uh, do my blood test twice a year, a whole range of things, also the calcium, and my calcium is perfect. Of course it is. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. So what's the problem?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's for people who aren't as smug about this knowledge as you and I in the program. There is a ton of leafy greens uh, that contain lots of calcium and there's, there's a lot of other foods that contain calcium. But here's the kicker. Our calcium daily requirement is actually very, very low once we take out all of the things that strip our bodies of calcium. Yeah. Those things, namely, are animal proteins. So once we take our animal proteins out of the diet because they're the calcium thief. If you remove yeah. the thief, then you don't yeah. have to repopulate the calcium much into the body because nothing's being stolen. Yeah. But the good news is that even under those situations there's still heaps of calcium uh, when you're consuming a um, plant-based diet like Patterson yes. program. I've chatted more than I normally do because I've I've kind of First of all, it's been a long time since I've done one of these interviews. We've been in the States for a month, and so I'm a little bit of a chatty Cathy today because um, I've not had a chance to enjoy chatting with someone about these fun topics uh, face-to-face for for five weeks. So I've been talking a little bit more than I normally do. And so we've used up a little bit more of our time. But I'd like you to share some – I would like to at least cover the following couple of things, which is um, your participation in a recent study – about yes. anxiety and fear and so forth, and also then want to hear some tips from you from doing the program over three years that you've learnt that have been especially helpful. So why don't we go in that order? Talk about the study that you are recently involved in and, and why that might be interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, the University Hospital here in Maastricht uh, did a study two years ago amongst uh, patients with RA, about um, I have written down gloomy.
2: Uh, oh, if yeah. People
1: are gloomy and uh, not depression, but only gloomy.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and it was an interview on paper, and the outcome was, as they told me, surprise, uh-huh. because the outcome was that not the people were only gloomy, but very depressed mm. and had a lot of fear and anxiousness mm. and not only the older people, but even the younger patients with RA. Mm. So they wanted to continue on this new outcome and started a new research about depressions mm. and uh, also in research on paper again. And they wanted, to, they like to interview those people also personal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I went there a few weeks ago for an interview and during this interview, it's I think it lasts one and a half hour, I talked about my own experience and I realized yes, I had this as well. I have completely forgotten this. I have I have suppressed it, let, let's say it like that. Mm-hmm. But I was anxious as well. And about what? Well, about my future, about can I be independent? About my pain. Um How can I live my life in this situation? All those things, and they came all back during this interview, and I realized, yes, I have gone through this as well. So it was also healing for me, this interview, and then this uh, researcher told me that there were very less people who wanted to talk about this. It was Mm. a very uh, difficult subject, amongst people with RA, especially to talk about it. So I was the first one. And, well, I'm very curious to the outcome of this whole uh, project. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You'd be the only one who wants to go and talk about, you know, how you feel and your moods and so forth, because you're on the positive end of the spectrum.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yes.
0: Because you've got knowledge that very few other people with rheumatoid arthritis have. Yeah despite my best efforts to do interviews like this and to, you know, create content and share it with people, still so very few people know this information, follow this program, or even something uh, more generic, like just a simple plant-based diet. And so they, no one wants to talk about it. I remember that I would go through anxiety, definitely is the right word, about social events when I was highly inflamed. Yeah. I didn't want to see anybody. I just didn't want to be social whatsoever. I didn't want people to once again question why I'd lost more weight because I was on a raw food diet for eight months and you talked about a lot of weight loss. You know, as soon as you uh, shift across to raw foods, it becomes even that extra level of challenge to hold the weight. And I was doing Bikram yoga every day, which is, as you know, very um, uses up a lot of energy. And, and so I didn't want to see people. Questions like, or just the look on their face, just that extra half second that they look at you like, oh, something's wrong with him. You know what I mean? Um, That guy's not doing too good. And so I didn't want that feeling. I didn't want to pretend that I was doing well. I'd have to kind of try and walk more steady, even though I was limping and try not to limp. I just didn't want to. I just said to Melissa, "I I just don't want to see anyone. And this went on for a very long time. And the whole time I'm doing stand-up comedy. So I'm like the focus of oh the
2: – Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I'm like worried about how I'm going to step up onto the stage at some clubs because yeah. I remember, oh, that club, it's like the step up onto the stage is knee height. All right, yeah. so I've got to be super careful when they introduce me that, I, that I'm right next to the stage so that I can step up with my good leg and then yeah. get to the microphone without drawing too much attention to my limp. I did some TV appearances where I just look at them and I'm like, just shocking. I just don't like, didn't like it. Now, what's crazy is people don't care as much as what we think. They think, okay, that guy or that lady, skinny or whatever, or doesn't look too healthy, but they don't think about it for more than a few seconds except your family and your family dwell on it. It's like weight loss to the family is almost like the ultimate signal that they need to get involved. <laughs> they need to stop whatever it is you're doing. <laughs> but if you're skinny to anyone else they don't care. I got friends that like, mate, when you're skinny you look good. You do skinny really well. I'm like I don't want to do skinny really well, you know. I've always right. been skinny uh, throughout my whole life and yeah, you know, I'm used to it, but uh it's nice I, I I we all feel better when we feel like we've got a few more few more pounds. Anyway, I feel like I'm rambling. I could talk to you all night. Let's go back to, uh, let's go back to you. I apologize if I just like, f- just chatting so much. You know, we've got the, we've been overseas. I haven't done one of these. And then I've got a couple, three little kids and they just want to talk about toys all the time. And my <laughs> wife wants to talk about the kids. And so I, I'm, I'm socially deprived. Yeah. Talk about your rheumatologist. Have you got the rheumatologist that everyone says is fantastic in the Netherlands and they're supportive of our program and is familiar with it? Have you got that rheumatologist?
2: Well, Let's
1: say like this way, I have a fantastic rheumatologist from day one when yep. I came for the first time and I still come to her. Yep. But in your program, a very important issue is also that you learn people how to deal with your rheumatologist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that was very important for me because... And normally, I am somebody who is who says uh, "Well, this is what I do," and blah blah blah." Yeah. but now I was very gentle, and I respect her
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I told her honestly what I was doing
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I knew she wasn't okay with it, but i I am open to her, and we discussed it that we should be honest to each other yes, and she only did. When I told her about the diet, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. And I said, well, I try it and I I, I do it. And um, she was okay with it. Yeah, She didn't say that I didn't have to do it, but she had no confidence in it. No yes. confidence. Yes. Yeah, not at all.
2: Mm.
1: And every time I have my appointment with her, every three months, I always give her uh, the day before an update by email So she know already exactly, Mm. and always uh, write in the update also, still on the Clint Patterson program, diet, lifestyle, my weight, everything. And uh, the first uh, year, I think, she didn't ask anything about it. But then slowly she asked things about it. And I also help her with teaching uh, medical students in English. Then I am a patient who uh, is, how do you say, a study patient. Mm -hmm. And at the end, if they uh, diagnose me and uh, listen to my story, always the question is, how is it possible that you are now in this condition? Wow. Looking so well, looking so energetic, looking so vibrant. And that was what the researcher also said from this um, um, project. And then I ask the rheumatologist, "Do you allow me to tell
2: why?" Yeah. I said, "Tell them, tell
1: them." <laughs> and then I always tell about the Glenn Patterson program, and it's happened already a few times or several times. Immediately they pick Pam, <laughs> write down how is his name, oh how is the diet, and how is the lifestyle. Yeah. And my rheumatologist. Uh, I don't want to uh, bring her in a difficult position. Mm. That I do something else that uh, is that that's without without her treatment. Yes. So, but she is okay with it. Yes. And then after two years, I told her, "Well, Clint Patterson also had a special. Um, you have written something for special for rheumatologists." Oh yes.
0: Yes, the guide for rheumatologists with the yes, scientific I, references. Yes. Yeah?
1: And I had it with me. I had printed it out and yes. I had it with me. And I told her that you had made this special for rheumatologists. Are you interested in it? Yeah, yeah, I am. But I didn't give it to her. Huh. And then again, when I went outside, she said, you should give me this guide. Don't forget to give me this guide. Oh. Yes, here it is. That's great. And then she never come back to the subjects, but she, I think she slowly understands how important it is, at least for me, Mm. Mm. and she sees the results Mm. that I'm doing so good. Yes. So it's not a point of discussion with her. Yeah. She respects me. I respect her. And that's the situation. So I think she is for me the the a very good rheumatologist. Yeah,
0: it's yes. perfect. Again, this is one of these uh, situations that's not change anything. Yeah, you know, it's like the food, the medication, and once the rheumatologist relationship is pretty good and uh, everything's working well also something that we we shouldn't go and change we don't need to go and see a different specialist or another opinion once everything's uh it's it's very
2: delicate it's delicate exactly
0: it's delicate these relationships are delicate quickly and then we'll wrap up have you got any bullet points tips for people that uh, for example what would you say the most crucial parts of the program to follow if people are following it what you absolutely must get right
1: well for me was the pain was and is the pain is the best motivator. Mm-hmm. And if I if I have some little problems uh, because I have eaten something that is not good for me, then I know always go back to day one. I structurally do it every three months. All right. Uh, day one and day two, so only juices. Mm-hmm. And if you have problems, um, not in my case, not with pain but with swelling, go back to day one.
2: Yeah.
1: Last Christmas, um, I was very strict in my diet. It's a difficult, difficult period, Christmas time. Yeah. But I was very strict in my diet. But I drank a glass of champagne. Yeah. And that is okay. But then uh, the next day or, or three days later again, and it was a glass of uh, prosecco. And I like it very much, only one glass of Prosecco, and uh, there was a bit the dinners in the evening and then I went to bed and I got a tremendous pain here in my chest,
2: mm. my uh,
1: chest bone, do you call it sternum yep. yep, and I thought, well, this is not from my heart, and it got very worse it's it's I think from the prosecco. <laughs> Yeah. And then my husband told me yes, because here you have very small, very small, fine uh, joints. Exactly. And it was uh, connected with the breath and with uh, muscle movements.
0: Absolutely. Yep.
1: And at that moment, I was not in fear, or not anxious, not in shock. Relax. If. Is it's from the uh, food or the 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 prosecco? Then I can control it, mm-hmm. and that's a miracle because then I do the next day, uh, Tuesday, and it was even it was even ne- not necessary. Next morning, it was already disappeared. Wow! But i was so relaxed under it, and normally all those years before, I always was very stressed, yeah. very stressed about the pain. Mm. And now I have a toy, uh, do you say toy, to control it. A tool? A tool, sorry, yeah. sorry, a tool. <laughs> a-, a tool to control it. Yeah. And for me, the most important thing.
0: Yeah, that's right. This is where I talk about the ultimate goal is complete confidence and control. Yeah. Once you have complete confidence and control, nothing can impact you in a way that you don't feel you can overcome and you know the chest pain It's one of my classic spots in weakness in my uh history has been that chest uh and i've experienced that i remember the that chest pain very much it's agonizing and uh and so to know that you're able to switch that off in 24 48 hours and you did it even quicker it just went away quickly yeah, I mean that's that's what it's all about—is feeling that you aren't subject to every twist and turn of the disease without having any control over it. That's the worst place to be. Exactly. So, yeah, that's where the anxiety is. That's where the worry. That's where the depression is exactly. at. So, yeah, awesome. Okay,
1: you can't trust uh, your body anymore if you are diagnosed. Yeah. And now, I know. Well, sometimes I have a little swelling in my knee.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I do it on Tuesday,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then I go to bed, and it's like a miracle. Mm-hmm. Three o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, slowly the yeah. swelling disappears.
2: Yeah.
1: In such a positive uh, situation that I think, I can control it. How is this possible? It's every time again a miracle.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a fabulous point where we might wrap up. It is. It, it does feel like a miracle, you know. But I think I one time sat down and wrote out Miracle as an acronym and came up with something like, I forget the details, but it was basically an acronym where it was massive attack and, and intervention so that you create your own result by working really hard. So yeah. it's not a miracle where the intervention is out of our control. The miracle comes from extraordinary discipline extraordinary patience and extraordinary mindset to be able to stick with it and to convince ourselves that this is all going to pay off and play the long game so you've obviously done that and uh and what a tremendous outcome so i've really enjoyed having a chat with you it's coming up to 10 o'clock here at night so uh it's a good time for me to uh to, to sign off and go and get some rest and get ready for the little ones in the morning. And just thank you once again for um, for sharing your story and uh, and for, you know, so many lessons, didn't we? We covered a lot of lessons in your journey, things that a lot of people may have come across themselves uh, and good to stop and have a discussion about those things so that we can all share what, what we know and make sure that we make the best decisions.
1: Thank you very much, Clens. Thank you. What's- Pleasure for me. Thank you very
0: much. Awesome thanks again.
1: Bye bye. You've been listening to the Patterson program. For more information visit
2: pattersonprogram.com.